I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God bless the reading of His Word. Many of you, I love the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians there in Rome so many years ago. I love it for many reasons. One reason I love it is that it reminds me of how much I don't know and uh, how much I have to keep working to grow deeper in the Word of God, to understand as much as I possibly can understand about God's Word. Reading this letter to the Roman church is a lifelong project. It is a, a project that we will constantly be working on as long as we live. But, you know, that's kind of good. That, that, that's good to have that kind of challenge before us. One of the great scholars of the past, I, I think it was Martin Luther, I probably should have run the resources, but I remember him saying basically this, that you cannot really begin to grasp what Paul is saying in the book of Romans until you're well into your 40s. Actually, what he said is, he said, before you're 30, you can't read the Gospel of John, and before you're 40, you really can't read the book of Romans. Now, that's not to mean those of you under 30 and 40 uh, don't you start reading them, but it's to acknowledge the depth of those writings. And while we begin our journey into them at a young age, it's almost a comfort to know that all my life there will be a new road to travel. There will be a new layer to uncover that if I keep at it, that these sacred holy words like we sang about earlier today will continue to bless my life and continue to help me understand things that I want to understand. Now, having said that, there are portions in Romans that just speak directly to our heart that really need no interpretation and no proof. And this part of chapter 7 that we just read falls into that. Now, chapter 7 is a very dense and very difficult chapter to really work through and understand everything about it. But in the midst of all of that, that uh, theological depth, 
Paul is talking about some things that we just know are true because they match up so well with our experience. In this excerpt that we just read, Paul is saying simply this, and see if you don't agree with him. There are things I do not like about myself. There are things about myself that I want to change. There are things about myself that I try to change. And as I try to change these things about myself, I realize what a battle I have on my hands. For example, there are times in my life when I say, I am not going to do that again. And yet, it seems like just a little while down the road, there I find myself doing that again. We may say, I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to think about things with that kind of attitude and in those ways. I'm not going to lie awake anymore and think about those things. I'm going to put those things aside and I'm going to go on. And it's not long till we realize how difficult it is to lay those thoughts aside. Or we may make the promise to ourselves, I'm not going to say something like that anymore. Why do I let my mouth run off like that? I am just not going to speak that way anymore to anyone. And before we can turn around, there we hear ourselves saying those same words again. Paul says it this way. I just don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want to do. But I do the very things I hate. He goes on to say, I can will what is right. I can decide in my mind I'm going to do what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good things I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep finding myself doing. No amens? Thank you. (laughs) We don't have to prove that, do we? We just know that. Paul is speaking from his heart to our heart. And that's one reason why this passage is so often read. And it needs to be read. But not just because it defines our situation so well. The real power of this passage is that it teaches two essential truths that we must grasp if we are to live lives that are realistic and that are powerful. Two essential truths, and we've got to have both of these truths for our faith to line up with the reality of our lives. One of the things that that really drives me about trying to understand more about faith is that I want my faith to speak to to the way I experience life. I don't want my faith to be over here, and it's sort of something I just kind of hang on to that's kind of fuzzy and nice over there, and then I've got my life to live. I want the intersection of those things. I want what I believe to truly inform who I am, and what I believe, I want it to match up with how I experience life. 
Now that may sound contradictory because I know faith is something you cannot prove. Faith is something that you cannot see. But even though you can't see it and you can't prove it, it has to line up with the way we live and have we experienced life. This is what life is all about. And my faith tells me that. It shows me that. It's true. But at the same time, I've got to have the power to keep on going. I've got to have the power to stand up to truth. I've got to have the strength to continue on when the reality of life begins to pull me down. So this passage gives us two essential truths. And we can't live with just one of them. We've got to have both of them. And if we have both of them, then our faith will be real and our faith will be powerful. Essential truth number one. You ready? The more sin we remove from our lives, the more of these struggles, these things that we don't like about ourselves, these things that are ungodly, these things that are harmful, the more sin we remove from our lives, the more sin we will discover in our lives. We need to know that. We need to expect that. Let me say it this way. Pat and I end up watching a lot of home remodeling shows on television. Uh, We sit down and we say, we're not going to watch someone remodel a house tonight. We're going to watch something else. So we start going through the channels and start watching something else. Well, it's too lewd. It's the language. Just uh -uh, can't, can't handle that. Then we watch something else for a little while and it's too silly. Uh, Something else, we've already seen that. And lo and behold, guess where we are? We're watching someone remodel a house. It's a choice between that and watching someone cook food, and that is dangerous. We don't want to watch someone cook food. So we watch them remodel a house, and the shows are all pretty much the same, and they go something like this. Someone buys a house, and they're all excited about that house, and it's just got one problem. The kitchen cabinets are ugly. So they decide they're going to buy this house, and they're going to replace the kitchen cabinets, and then everything will be wonderful about this house. So they go in and they tear out the kitchen cabinets, usually with sledgehammers. I don't get that. I don't think that's really the way you take kitchen cabinets out of a house, but I guess it makes good TV to swing the sledgehammer at the kitchen cabinet. Anyway, they take the kitchen cabinets out, out, and they throw them out in the backyard, and they find that behind the cabinets is mold. They couldn't see the mold before. It was there. But the ugly cabinets were in the way. And so they couldn't see the mold behind the cabinets until they got rid of the ugly cabinets. So then they start working on getting the mold out. Well, why is the mold there? Well, because the plumbing is bad. They didn't realize that the plumbing was bad because of the ugly kitchen cabinets that were in the way. So they began tearing into the walls to repair the plumbing, and they discover that the wiring is out of date and dangerous. Well, why did they know that? Well, you can't see it when the wall's there. You can't see the wiring. 
So then they have to work on the wiring. As they're working on the wiring, they discover this major support beam that is broken and rotten, and the whole house is about to fall in. So while they thought that if we could just fix these kitchen cabinets, everything would be wonderful. But what they discovered was behind them there was something else. Behind them there was something else. And on and on it goes. And it's that way with our lives. We become convicted that we have a problem. And sometimes for a while we ignore that problem. We think other people can't live with this problem, but I can live with this problem. I can make it work. And when we realize we can't live with that problem, that we really do need to get rid of it. We think if I can just change this, then everything will be great. But when we move this out of the way, we find something else behind it that we couldn't see before. The essential truth is, is this is the way life will always be. The more sin we remove from our lives, the more sin we will discover in our lives. Let me tell you how John talks about this. Those of you over 30 can listen. No, I I think we can go. (laughs) John talks about it in this way. God is light. And as long as we stay in the darkness, we can be pretty content with who we are because we really can't see our sinfulness. You know, we look pretty good in the dark. I look as good today in the dark as I did when I was 16 years old. But if I go turn the light on, it's like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Well, if we decide that God is light and we want to get closer to him, the closer we get to God, then the more we're able to see the things about us that are not good, that need to be changed. And as we grow closer and closer, the light gets brighter and brighter. And rather than our feeling like, oh, finally, I'm getting rid of all of this, we keep looking down, and while the first we saw something major, now we're starting to see the little spots and all the flaws, and what can we do? But as we grow closer to God, we realize more and more the things about us that are not good. Now, Paul understood this. That's why he talked about it in the way he did in Romans chapter 7. Later on, when he was writing his friend Timothy, he said it in this way. I am the worst sinner who ever lived. Paul. Paul. The Apostle Paul. Saint Paul. Paul, the one who gave himself to going all over the world and preaching about the righteousness of God. Paul, the one that had applied himself all through his life of keeping God's law, he comes out at the end of his life as an old man. He says, let me tell you what I've learned about myself in my walk with God. I am the worst sinner who ever lived. Isn't that amazing? So, Paul, are you saying this, that it would be better to stay in the dark Let's just leave the ugly kitchen cabinets. Let's not start poking around 
Because we don't want to really discover all those things. Because aren't we just going to feel worse about ourselves than we did when we got started if we start finding out how many problems we really have? Well, Paul's already talked about this in Romans chapter 6 when he talks about sin. And he tells us this, sin is deadly. You can't leave it there. You cannot afford just to be content to ignore it that it will continually be eating away at your life, eating away at your soul, and one day will send you to eternity of death. And that when you come to God, you pledge yourself that you're going to have the same attitude about sinfulness that God does. And whenever you're baptized into Christ, you put on His death, the death that He died to sin. And you make make up your mind from that point on, that I am going to be dead to sin and alive to God. So to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a child of God, is to make the commitment, I am going to enter into this battle of fighting what I find in my life that is not godly. I'm going to fight the battle. Because it must be fought. Because my sinfulness is killing me and hurting everybody around me. It's a battle that must be fought But that brings us to our second essential truth. That even though we will never win that battle, the second essential truth is that we have someone who has won the battle for us. We have someone who can take us in our frustrated and sinful state and bring us before God with His mercy and grace And present us to God whole and alive. So therefore, when we grasp that first essential truth that I am sinful and that I will always be sinful, then when we discover the second essential truth that there is an answer to this, that there is a power that can give me forgiveness and that can take away not only my frustrations but my shame and the death that I'm dying... We will run with all of our might and jump into that one's arms. If the mission of Jesus Christ is not exciting to us, if what he can do for us does not make our hearts soar, if the offer of mercy and grace does not make us run and embrace him, then we haven't grasped the first truth. We haven't been fighting the sin. We haven't been looking at ourselves like we really are. But when we do, we run into his arms. Paul says it like this in chapter 7 of Romans. O wretched man that I am. He's been fighting the battle. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul meant that. Paul did not just smile a sweet little smile and say how grateful he was for Jesus. Paul would fall on his knees and say, even a sinner like me, he has saved. The passage in Timothy I mentioned a moment ago. I want to read that entire passage. It's just a few verses long. But this passage really squares up well with what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7. 
Verse 15 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save anyone else. He only came to save sinners. Do you qualify? I, I have to stop. It. I, I know I tell this story a lot, but it's, Albert Winstanley was a, a missionary in England. Uh, he's, he was English, and he began uh, preaching there, and, and the church that I worked with in Tyler supported him. One day he put up above his front door of the church building a big sign that said, Only sinners welcome. And his church members made him take it down. It embarrassed them. Don't think they'd been fighting that battle. I wonder how close to the light they had gotten. Don't think they had moved those kitchen cabinets yet. Had seen what was behind them. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And he goes on and says, And I am the worst sinner of all. There you go. There's his confession. He's been fighting the battle. He knows what it's like. He says, but you know why he saved me? He said, I got it figured out. There was a time when I could not figure out why Jesus would choose to save me. After all the things I've done, after all the problems I have, why would he save me? He said, I finally figured it out. It's for this very reason that I received mercy. So that in me, as the worst sinner who ever lived, Jesus Christ might show that he is ultimately patient. And he makes me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul says he saved me so that you can believe he can save you. If he can save Paul, he can save you. And he can save me. No matter what the battles that lie ahead of us. These are the two great truths. We've got to know how sinful we are. And if you're expecting as you become a better Christian and you grow older and you grow deeper that you're going to start feeling better about yourself, uh-uh. <laughs> you will not start feeling better about yourself for your own merits. You'll start seeing more and more things. And take it from me. You'll think back about years past and think about things that were said and done that embarrass you and shame you. But you will stand up and walk and live with power because you will realize that though you are unworthy, Jesus Christ died for those sins and gives you the mercy and grace of God. And that is where your power comes from. That is where your life comes from. It takes both of those to live a life and have a faith that is real and powerful. And it is that kind of faith that Paul was calling the Romans to, and through them calls us to as well. Let's stand and sing.